Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. The New Testament book of Philippians and Philippians in chapter number 2. The book of Philippians and chapter number 2. We're continuing to go through this wonderful series of dealing with this epistle to the church of Philippi, the book of Philippians. And we're seeing that as Paul is in prison, this is one of his prison epistles, he's writing to the church of Philippi, and all throughout it you could see the idea of joy and rejoicing. How in the world can you joy and rejoice in awful circumstances? The church of Philippi is starting to feel persecution. That Paul himself is in Rome, he's greatly persecuted. How can you joy? Because of God. That when we get our joy from God, knowing whom he is. And as we had started the book of Philippians chapter 2, we took some time to explain about the mind of Christ and the mind that Christ had. And remember that many, many times God had repeated, have this mind, be like-minded. And God is placing the emphasis having the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ, by the way? That Jesus had formed, uh, being God, had fashioned himself in the form of a man and became a servant. And we have the phrase there of no reputation, that it wasn't about him, it was about others and about what God had given him to do. And then as we went on, we explained a little bit more about serving God and that the implication is having the mind of Christ. And as we have the mind of Christ, there's going to be a certain way of serving God. And now we are introduced, as we're still going with that same idea, the same theme, the overarching thing in this chapter of dealing with the mind of Christ. Notice now, as Paul is telling the church of Philippi, that he's going to send a special servant to help them out. Notice with me in the book of Philippians chapter 2, and let's start in verse number 19. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But Ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon shall I see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. And with this, we're going to put an emphasis and almost a character study on the young man by the name of Timothy. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 22? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 22, as a son with the father. As a son with a father. This is how Paul is referring to uh, to Timothy. In fact, later on in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says this, my own son 
in the faith. And so with the Lord's help, we want to take that as the title as we do a character study on Timothy, my own son in the faith. My own son in the faith. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're asking that you would help open up the Bible as we study through one of your characters, one of a historical person who helped the Apostle Paul, and what we could learn from his life and the relationship that Timothy had with the Apostle Paul, that we could put it to practice and apply it in our own life and understand the principle that you are getting across in this relationship between Paul and Timothy. Again, we need your help. We want our minds and our hearts to be on you. That we want to see you. Help our eyes to get off any circumstances. Anything that may be a distraction. That you may be pleased even with our hearing. That we could be spirit filled hearers. As much as I have a responsibility to be a spirit filled preacher. Because of that the best I know how I surrender myself to you once again. Please fill me with your gracious presence. With your spirit. And that you get your own work accomplished through the Bible today to teach us more of your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we examine, we want to study the life of Timothy. And the first thing I want to show you a little bit as we learn about him is his early life. His early life. With that, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter number 16. We're going to come back to Philippians eventually. But let's start in Acts chapter 16. And let's, if you don't mind, let's see a little bit about the early life of Timothy. Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. Now as you're turning there, Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. His father died early in Timothy's life and so Timothy was raised by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Uh, Paul had made mention of them later on in the uh, letters to Timothy that how they had taught him from a youth about the word of God and taught him how to follow the word of God. So they took the time to invest in him with scriptures from a young age. And by the way, parents, that's how you should do. You should take the little ones and teach them the word of God from a young age the best you can to point them up to you. Now as we come to Acts 16, we could find as Paul crosses paths with Timothy. Notice with me in verse 16, uh, chapter 16 verse 1. Then he, that's Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewish and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported by the brethren that were there at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we learn quite a bit about Timothy in this passage. Again, we had learned that his mother was a Jewish, his father was a Greek. We also understand that his father came out of the picture. But here's a young man who is well reported of in the church. Now, where did he come to know Christ as a savior? Well, Paul had already come through this region before. In fact, it was in this region that Paul, as he preached, some people didn't like it. And so what they did is they took Paul outside of the city and they put him in a pit outside of many cities. They had a stoning pit. They would throw someone down in the midst of the pit and there would be rocks all surrounding the pit. And the people got so tired of Paul's message that they took the rocks and they stoned Paul to death and they killed Paul. 
And his body took a lot of punishment. I don't know if you could think in your divine imagination, but stoning is a painful process. It's not a nice put to sleep. It involves pain. It involves crushing bones. That whenever a rock hits a bone with enough force, that bone is going to break. It's going to shatter. It's going to fracture. And so Paul was stoned to death, which implies many, many broken bones. It wasn't just one lucky shot. They all have him centered down in the, in the pit and they're throwing down at him. There's nowhere for him to go. And they stoned him to death. Now you say, well, that's awful. Oh, but God wasn't done with Paul. And so as the disciples came, as everyone went back to town, the disciples came and they're like, oh man, this is a mess here. Look at, and an amazing thing happens. Paul got up. Now remember, he just got through stone to death. Many broken bones. But he gets back up. Not only is he alive, he is healed. And he marches right back into town. Imagine the people who just killed him, see the guy they just killed come back into town. Wouldn't that make an impact in society? Maybe just a bit. And it was during this time that there was a young man by the name of Timothy who had heard Paul's message and he got saved. Now as Paul is making a circuit back, he's coming back and visiting these churches that were started. As he comes in and is preaching at the church, the people said, hey, there's a young man here by the name of Timothy. And he's a young man, but he is hungry for the Lord. He actually believes that God could do anything. He's just hungry. He's chopping to the bit. He's learning everything we can. We've got to the place where we don't know what else to teach him. And so Paul takes some time. He interviews him, learns about him. In fact, let's read about it here. In verse number two, which, speaking of Timothy, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Now notice it wasn't Timothy who goes up, Mr. Paul, you need me. But it was people of the church that said, here's a young man who loves the Lord. And he loves the scriptures. They told Paul about it. And Paul, by hearing their good report, went to talk to Timothy. Now notice, him would Paul have go with him, and he took and circumcised him. Now, why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Well, we know circumcision doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It has everything to do in this case of testimony. Because in the Greek, uh, the Hebrew people's mind, because Timothy had Jewish heritage, but he also had a Gentile heritage, most of the Jewish people saw Gentiles as nothing more than dogs, that Tim, uh, that Timothy was a half-breed. That he would have a poor testimony to the Jewish people because of his Greek heritage. And he would have a poor testimony to the Gentiles because of his Jewish heritage. And so what what Paul did is he had uh, Timothy go through circumcision for the idea that he could have influence with the Jewish people. Listen, I have followed the law. I am going with you. I now have the ability to speak with you. It was the idea of testimony and for the idea that the Hebrew people would not reject him and his message because of his background. It was to help try to take care of that. And so Paul took Timothy and began to follow or have Timothy follow after him. Which now brings us to the second thing that we could see his early life. The next thing that we see is the uh, discipleship by Paul discipleship by Paul. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 
Now, as Paul took Timothy, here's a young man who's hungry for the Lord. He wants to learn more things. So Paul began to disciple him. Now, let's define our terms. What do we mean by discipleship? Well, discipleship in its basic form carries the idea of developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That everything we do in the Christian life is habits. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. You get in the habit of going to church. You get in the habit of praying. You get in the habit of giving. You get in the habit of witnessing. And what discipleship does is helps develop those habits by providing accountability. So Timothy, I want you to be successful in these areas. Let me go alongside and teach you and help you be successful in these habits of your life. And Paul invested his life into Timothy. Notice with me as we see this in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and notice with me in verse number 10. Notice this first phrase, but thou hast fully known. Thou has fully known, and we're going to go through a list in a second, but this idea fully known, that we understand that discipleship is not only developing the habit of obedience, but it also includes a discipler pouring their life into someone else. And that he said, Timothy, you fully known, and he gives a list. Notice this list, if you don't mind. He says, for thou hast fully known my doctrine. This idea of doctrine is our belief and teaching. It's the content of discipleship. So in discipleship, the way that we have it designed is lessons. That's the doctrine. We want to teach you what the Bible has to say about the Bible. We want to teach you what the Bible has to say about um, prayer. We want to teach you what the Bible has to say about the local church. We want to teach you what the Bible has to say concerning soul winning. We want to teach you what the Bible has to say about uh, spiritual warfare and so on. And so thou has fully known my doctrine. Timothy, I took time to teach you the content. I taught you the, the belief and teachings. I taught you my doctrine and thou has fully known. But that wasn't it. Notice so you don't mind the next thing. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Notice this. My manner of life. Timothy, I invested in you and you saw how I live my life. You see, it's not just content. It is conduct. You understand that when a teacher teaches, there is different influences they have. The teacher has the influence of content. That's what is being taught. But we also have the, con uh, the influence of communication. How it is taught. Let me give you an example. In history class, we were pretty much all taught the same thing. But there seemed to be a couple teachers that we gravitated to that made it come alive. That's the influence of communication. That is how you teach it. But that's not the only thing that we have. We have how, uh, what we teach. We have how we teach it, how we communicate, but we also have the influence of conduct. This is what we would call passive learning. That this is things that you learn from a teacher that they're not actively teaching you. Meaning that how you say things, how you deal with things. For example, I am in the habit of getting up and saying, if you don't mind, take your copy of the word of God and I do that every time. Well, I don't actively teach. All right, preacher boy, when you come up, this is how you approach it. But it seems like every preacher boy that I've taught 
ends up doing the same thing. Why? Because that is passive teaching. There are things that they've learned. Manner of life. Mannerisms. How I live my life. For example, you'll notice that <laughs> when I'll ask you to grab a songbook. If you wouldn't mind, please take your songbook and stand with me. Well, notice I use the word please and stuff. I'm not actively teaching, saying, all right, this is what you say. You got to be nice to him. Say please. But people pick that up. Anyways, I'm not demanding. I'm asking nicely and people respond well to that. Now you understand there's a manner of life, how you live your life. They learn more about your idiosyncrasies and the little thing. Let me give an example. One of my spiritual fathers is uh, Clarence Sexton. And Clarence Sexton had some back problems, but he also has a calf that's shrinking in muscle tone. So because of that, when he uh, walks, in fact, he's walking with a cane now, but beforehand, he would walk with just a slight limp. And so what would happen is all the preacher boys who would watch over him, they would pick up the limp. And so there's nothing wrong with their leg, but they'd pick up the limp. Why? Because they pick up the manner of life, the idiosyncrasies. Dr. Jack Hiles, for a lot of years, he had a throat problem. And so when he would preach, he would clear his throat quite often. And so what happens is the preacher boys who would study after him would get up and they would clear their throat and have things. Was there anything wrong with their throat? No. They pick up the idiosyncrasies. They pick up the manner of life. They pick up things of the person's life that they're not actively teaching. Now Paul is saying, Timothy, you've known fully, you have fully known my doctrine, but you've fully known my manner of life. You've seen me live my life. You saw how I interact and how I dealt with people, and you've learned from it. This is part of that discipler pouring himself into another person, not just for the information, but how to live a life. That is obedient to him. There's one thing if I teach you a lesson and say, listen, don't complain and look towards God. And then I turn around and complain and look at God. What are people going to learn? How I complain, not what I teach them. We all have that saying, uh, I want you to learn from what I teach, not what I do. Well, people learn from what you do. That manner of life is important. It's not just teaching him content. It is teaching him conduct. Notice he goes on. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. Notice this. Thou hast fully known my purpose. You know Paul had a clear purpose? That I may know him. Timothy, you follow with Paul. What is his purpose? That he may know him. That he wants to know Jesus. He wants to follow after Jesus. His purpose is for Jesus to look down and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. He says, without a doubt, I know your purpose. Do you know? <laughs> that should be something that's poured into the life of a disciple. Is the purpose. What is my purpose? Well, I'm just doing this because I have to. That shows up. What is the purpose of your life? My purpose of life is to be pleasing to him. And thou hast fully known my purpose. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose. Notice this. Thou hast fully known my faith. Now understand faith is defined as looking unto Jesus. When do you look unto Jesus? In good times and in bad. You know, it's one thing to say, Oh man, things are awful. Look at how awful they are. Okay, let's go ahead. Let's do discipleship even though things are awful. But some, seeing someone's faith. Hey, I know that things are falling apart, but God's still good. Let's look at him. 
Timothy, thou hast fully known my faith. You've seen me in good times and you've seen me in bad times. And you saw that consistently I looked up to the Lord. Now Paul's not bragging on himself, but he's telling Timothy, you've seen this. You've fully known. You've witnessed this. You've seen me in good times. You've seen me in bad times. And you saw that consistently were my faith. I'm looking up to Jesus. I'm trusting in God no matter what is happening. You've fully known my faith. You understand that is part of what is picked up in discipleship is learning from someone who is following after Christ. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. Notice this, my long suffering. What is long suffering? It's when you suffer long. That carries past patience because there are some people that go past patience on you. Why well, won't you learn this thing? You know, there's one thing that you find in ministry is you can't choke people. You can't shake them. As much as you would like to, you can't. It's illegal in most places. And it's not proper anyways. You have to be patient with people. Long-suffering to them. That they're hurting you. And you still love them even while they're hurting you. You know, they could cause harm to themselves and we don't throw up our hands and say you know what just good luck sink or swim now but we're loving them even when we are suffering with them that's long suffering in fact you could almost see as Timothy's reading this a twinkle in his eye and said yep I remember how many times you were patient with me and I can look back at my own pastor's life and say oh I'm so glad he was patient with me because uh I think I'm the reason why he has gray hair. <laughs> he was so patient with me and all the stupid things. I'd, I'd get myself in such craziness that he'd say, nobody's ever done this before. What in the world? I, you know, I had Mormons keeping a file on me at one time. That's a funny story in its own. How do you get in the middle of all this stuff? Well, he was patient with me. And Timothy, you could almost imagine, is Paul saying, I was long, so you fully know my long suffering. Yeah, yep, I remember how many times you were patient with me. I've learned your long suffering uh, that you could have easily just said, forget you, cut the rope. But he didn't. He was long suffering. That was fully known, my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering. My charity. This word charity is a type of love, but it carries the idea of love that cost me something with no hope of return. You know, it's easy to love someone if you're going to get something back from them. It's harder to love someone that you have no guarantee that they'll ever respond back properly to you. He says, you've seen my charity. You see me love on people and invest in people who never give it back. Do you know how awful ministry would be as if we only invested in people that we thought were going to get something from it? Think about God. He invested in you when you were worth nothing. The Bible talks about, for God commendeth his love towards us and why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That carries the idea, when we were no good scumbags, he still died for us. Not because he saw something special. It's when we were at the height of, I hate you, God. He says, I'm still dying for you. Thou hast fully known my charity. That you saw me love on people who would never love me back. You saw me love on people who would never give anything back. You've fully known my 
charity. Now, this only comes when you've invested in someone's life. It's one thing for someone to talk about it. It's another thing when you witness someone going through that. Paul, why do you even bother with that person? Do you think Timothy had that conversation a couple times? Why do you even bother with him? Because I love him. Why? Because that's what God's given me to do. That was fully known my charity. But that was fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity. Notice this, my patience, my patience. Again, Timothy's probably like, I'm so glad you've been patient with me. But you know that patience isn't the idea of just waiting on someone or, all right, they're going to come about. But it carries along with it the idea of waiting on God. The ultimate form of worship is waiting on God. Now, waiting on God is not tapping your foot and crossing your arms. Come on, God, any time now. But it's the idea that I trust that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. I'm going to be obedient and wait for God to do what he said he was going to do. It's not sitting in down and doing nothing. He says, Timothy, you've sown my patience. There were times I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I trusted God anyways. And I went forward, even when it didn't seem to work out. And again, there was plenty of times... When 2 Timothy is written, Paul is at the end of his life. But think about the things he went through. He had the church of Corinth get into little divisions and try to overthrow him and throw out his apostleship. You imagine that was a hard time and Timothy was right there watching him. There were times when the churches of Galatia said, you know what? You get saved by grace, but you have to keep your salvation after that. And Paul went through that. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to trust God's going to work it. And I'm just going to be obedient to what I'm supposed to do. There was a time in his life when it looked like everything was falling apart. And he went, kept going anyways. Why? Because you can't trust people, but you could trust God. I'm not trusting that church is going to get right. I'm trusting that God is going to do a work though. You may not be able to trust people, but you could always trust God. Thou hast fully known my patience. But it's not over yet. It goes into verse 11. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, my persecutions. You see, Timothy was a disciple. Paul had poured his life on him. And Timothy got to see the backside of ministry and got to see the hate mail. He got to see when people beat Paul. He got to see Paul thrown into jail. He got to see when there was a riot in the church of Ephesus or the city of Ephesus after Paul had started a Bible institute and he was there for two and a half years, three and a half years, and he was having a good time and watched as the whole town threatened to kill Paul. He witnessed it. In fact, how did he get saved? By the time that Paul got stoned in front of him. He has fully known the persecutions. You know, part of that discipleship is letting you know that it's not always puppy dogs and rainbows and lollipops. That it's a time of heartbreak and time where people turn against you. And yet Paul still kept going. It's one thing if Hyde, ministry is always great, nothing ever happens. It gives a false view of ministry, but people don't know. But someone who's invested and poured it in there. I've seen the things that you go through, Paul. 
And it's not easy. And if people knew, they would never join the ministry. In fact, uh, Spurgeon said, if you could do anything else but pastor or preach and be happy, go do that. Because you're absolutely crazy to become a pastor or preacher in doing it in your own strength without God's help because of the things going on. But thou was fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, my persecutions, my afflictions, which came upon me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. He says, you saw what happened to me, Timothy, with the afflictions that happened. At this time, sure, Paul's in prison. But Paul, as they say, is almost hunchback now because of all the beatings. They said that he had an eye disease that popped out his eyes. He was not much to look at at this time. In fact, he had to travel with a full-time physician to keep him going, Dr. Luke. Thou hast fully known my afflictions. You've seen what it cost my body to serve God. And I'm doing it anyways. Thou hast fully known. This is part of that discipleship. Pouring it in. Now because of this. Uh, Notice with me verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Jesus Christ shall suffer persecution. Timothy, I want to give you a reminder. Here's a promise for you, just as real as John 3.16. If you choose to live godly, you will suffer persecution. You have fully known my persecutions, my afflictions. They're going to come for you, Timothy. And you saw how I responded. And there's an expectation that you respond properly too. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, it's not going to get better out there. It's going to get worse. And you're going to have more people trying to deceive the very people that you're working from. And they are going to deceive others themselves. And it's going to be a vicious cycle. He says, Timothy, it's not going to get better. It's going to get harder. But that was fully known. You need to keep going. Notice verse 14. What is the expectation? Why is Paul telling Timothy this anyways? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. All of this is dealing with the idea of discipleship. Discipleship is not just about content. It's about the influence of a life being poured into another. Thou hast fully known. And Timothy had followed Paul. Now, why is this important? We were talking about in Philippians to have the mind of Christ. It comes from this discipleship. Not just paper knowledge, but someone investing and pouring their life into him. Now, turn back to me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Now, as Paul is in prison... And he's writing to the church of Philippi. He now refers to his son in the faith, Timothy. This young man who accepted Christ. Who Paul pulled aside and discipled, invested, poured his life in this young man. And now as Paul is in prison, he cannot physically go to the church of Philippi. He sends Timothy in his stead. But may I tell you that Timothy is not a replacer or lesser than Notice what it says in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. I'm sending him in Timothy because I need an update. I need a checkup. But he's not just there to report. Notice in verse number 20. For I have no man like-minded 
who will naturally care for your estate. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not sending a cheap replacement. I'm sending someone with the same mind who's going to care for you. He had the mind of Christ. Where did Timothy get the mind of Christ? Discipleship. Paul poured his life into Timothy. And now Timothy is getting is the same thing. He has the same mind. And he's going to be a help to the church because of the mind of Christ. That's what discipleship does when it's done properly. Is that you're reproducing people who have the mind of Christ. That it's not about them it's about the things of God and what God has given to do. Again, he repeats that idea. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Meaning that Timothy doesn't have to work it up or fake it. Verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. Normal people think about themselves. Timothy, he's got the mind of Christ. He's not there for himself. He's there to be a help to you. This mind come. It comes from discipleship. Verse number 22. But ye know the proof of him. That as a father with a son. He hath served with me in the gospel. Notice that word prove. That's an important word. That same word is used inside of the uh, qualifications of a deacon. That they first must be proved. It carries the idea to put on trial. But in the ministry's sake it carries the idea of this. That when someone agrees with the biblical leadership, that's called unity. That's what we want. Proof comes when someone wants to do something and the pastor tells them no. And they respond in submission correctly. Instead of throwing a fit. Why doesn't he let me have my way? He doesn't understand. He's wrong. I quit. I'm not going anymore. The Bible says that they must first be proved. And that only comes when uh, they come to biblical authority and they tell them something they don't want to hear, but they respond properly. He says they first must be proved. You know, we understand in ministry, we do not put people in a position to make them faithful. We take people who are faithful and put them in a place of service. You if you try to make someone faithful by saying, all right, listen, if you keep coming to church, I'll let you teach a Sunday school class, you are begging for trouble. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that confidence in an unfaithful man is like a foot out of joint or a tooth, uh, a broken tooth. It's going to hurt you. Putting people who are not faithful into a position is a place to hurt the church and to hurt the ministry. We don't Put people in a position to make them faithful. We take people who have proven themselves to be faithful. And place them in a place of service. And he's telling the church of Philippi. This isn't some green uh, bright eyed kid. This is someone who's been proven. He's been put to the test. Put in places where it wasn't his desire, his will. And he submitted anyways. You understand there is a big deal in submission. And God always works through biblical authority. But again, what's our natural state? Pastor told me no. How dare he say no? How dare he say no? Now I'm exaggerating, but maybe just a little bit. Our own spirit likes to rebel and try to convince us why biblical authority is wrong. And you know what? 
if biblical authority is still wrong, you still submit trusting unto God. Unless they're asking you something illegal, immoral, and biblical, you have the responsibility to submit. Now remember, submission is with the heart. For example, you tell a teenager, go clean your room. And they go clean their room. Did they submit? No. Because submission is with the heart. It's not the idea, are they compliant? Will they say, all right, if that is what biblical authority has told me, it is now my will and I'm going to do it. I'm changing my will to follow after God. You understand it's all about that matter of the heart. And he's telling the church of Philippi, you know that he's been proven. There may have been a case here where Timothy had to prove himself and do something that he didn't want to do, but Paul or the church had asked him to do it. And he did it anyways without complaining, without throwing a fit, without trying to get a little group together so they could go complain about how pastor's not right and pastor's not fair. He was proven. This idea of proven is such a big deal. And because of this, he has the mind of Christ. I have no other man who is as like-minded. We're not giving you a cheap substitute church of Philippi. We're giving you someone who is just as good. Because he has the mind of Christ. Again, we've been talking about unity. Unity doesn't come when everyone matches pastor. Unity comes when we're all looking at Christ together. He is the goal. And we're looking to him. And following him. Notice as we finish off this passage. Verse 23. Him therefore I hope to send presently. So soon shall I see how it will go with me. Paul says I, I'm fixing to go to my court case. I don't know how it's going to turn out. If I'm freed I'm going to come see you. If not well I'm sending Timothy. And he's just as good. But I'm trusting. Verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. He says remember if I have the choice. I think I'm going to live I want to come see you. That's my idea. There's one more thing as we talk about the principle of discipleship. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to finish this off. But we want to see this passage here. Again, we're studying the life of Timothy. And we see that he is a disciple of Paul. And that Paul had fully poured his life into this young man. For the purpose that they both had the mind of Christ. And it's not just doctrine but it's manner of life, his purpose, his faith, his charity, all of that together. He knew Paul's thing and he caught it. And they're looking unto Christ themselves. And Timothy had been proven. So what is the principle, this principle of discipleship that we've spoken of? Notice with me, if you don't mind, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and notice with me in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, speaking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now notice this. I'm going to give you some instructions and I want you to be strong in this instruction. Verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. That's discipleship. He says you, the things that I've taught you and everybody knows that I taught you. The same commit thou. Notice this. Things that are different are not the same. What was Timothy expected to teach? The very same thing Paul taught him. Not his own take and not his own version. The same. He says, And the things that are heard among me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. We see that discipleship has a requirement. What is the requirement? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Again and again, you'll see this idea of faithfulness. 
that you are to take faithful men, not unfaithful people. You take faithful people who are willing to learn, willing to be obedient, willing to look to God. You take those men, those people. You take faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So notice, we have four generations. A Paul taught a Timothy. The Timothy is expected to take faithful men who are going to be taught to take others also. There's four generations. A Paul, a Timothy, faithful men, and others also. Do you know that you should fit somewhere in that category? I have Pauls in my life. I have people who have invested in my life. I'm a Timothy to them. At the same time, I've taken... <laughs> Lord's allowed the privilege of taking faithful men and teach them. I become their Pauls. I'm taking the Timothy position and taking faithful men with the expectation that those faithful men are in turn going to take someone else and teach them. And by the way, what are we teaching? The same. The same. That Paul taught Timothy. Timothy took the same things and taught faithful men. And the faithful men are expected to take the same things and teach others also. This is why we find in the book of Acts chapter 2. That they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. Jesus taught the apostles. The apostles taught the first century church. First century church taught the second century church and so on. And what do they teach them? The same they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is discipleship. That it's carrying on the same things. Now this is so important. Because why? Because we want to help develop the mind of Christ. When we went over the mind of Christ, did you kind of think about how do I get this? Do I sit here and go, come on, think like Jesus. Think like Jesus, come on, I can do it. How do you develop the mind of Christ? We understand in the context now as we're talking about Timothy and being proven faithfulness, discipleship. We help develop the habit of looking into God. Help develop the habit of being obedient to Him. Help develop the habit of forgiving others. All of that is involved. And allowing someone to invest and pour their life into you. Not just for content. But also for the idea of communication and conduct. To learn from them as they pour their life. And that as both of the groups of people are looking unto Jesus. They both develop the mind of Christ. And we move forward together. So just let me ask you a question. Where are you at? Do you have a Paul who's currently teaching you? Investing in you? Pouring your life? Well then you be a good Timothy and learn. Maybe you're at the place where you've gone through discipleship. Are you looking for your Timothy now? Are you looking for that faithful man, that faithful woman for you to start investing in? Everyone has a part to play when it carries the idea of faithfulness. For faithful people, they should be involved in here. Let me just ask you and encourage you that if you are in discipleship, and by the way, we put a big emphasis here, continue. That's what Paul told Timothy. Continue. Continue. Understand that this is important, not just for content. Well, I know all the information. We're trying to teach you more than information. We're trying to invest in you so that way you have the mind of Christ. For those of you who have gone through discipleship, and we have a couple of you, we encourage you to start looking for your Timothys. Praying for your Timothys. Who can you invest in and pour your life into someone, not to draw them to yourself, but to draw them to the Lord? So that they could have the mind of Christ. Also as a little reminder that if you disciple someone. You will learn a lot more than what you did when you were 
a disciple yourself. There's something about, because you start learning about long suffering, patience, you start learning about charity, you start learning about all of those things. Remember, all of this is not learned by book knowledge. It is all by experiential. Thou has fully known, that word known carries the idea by experience. We only have the mind of Christ by experience. So where are you at in this? Again, we encourage you that if you're in discipleship, continue. If you're finished with discipleship, start looking for that faithful man, that faithful woman that you can pour your life into so that way you both can continue to have the mind of Christ looking unto Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.